0: In the middle of a good dream, like all at once, I wake up from something that keeps knocking at my brain. Before I go insane, I hold my pillow to my head and spring up in my bed, screaming out the words I dread. I think I love
1: you. Welcome to What's Korean in My Episode 44 on the quiet family and director Kim Ji-Woon bursts onto Korean cinema screens and the scene and leaves a funny trail of dead people behind him. We watch Song Kang-ho, Choi Min-sik and company uh, trying to run a lodge and dispose of bodies. In the black comedy, The Quiet Family from 1998, we're going um, quite, uh, well, it's uh, 21 years ago, so it's uh, per definition a very, 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 very old movie, if you are a certain generation, but uh, regardless, uh, my name is Kennedy, with me is Hango Celluloid's Paul Quinn, to discuss this, uh, maybe classic, maybe not, but uh, it's... it's, Nearly there in terms of uh, Korean Cinema New Wave uh, getting off the ground. This is just before and we'll discuss that. But um...
0: We will, we will. Hello everyone, by the way.
1: Hello, hello. And how's everything going in Hangul's celluloid world? I saw a little linky-link on the old uh, Facebook Facebook uh, that uh, connected you and uh, Colette in terms of you had a little uh, did, did you have a little talk or were they advertising a little talk you and Colette were going to have on women in Korean cinema or what was that about plug your stuff
0: oh well essentially that was a, a talk I gave at the University of Westminster started this month for International Women's Day they sort of got in touch with me and Dr. Balmain and sort of said International Women's Day you people are in your own ways obsessed with women in Korean cinema do you want to especially you, you wanna... over there Paul <laughs> Obviously, in, in, a much, in, in a much dodgier way than, than Colette. Um, so we both gave a talk, and she she sort of stuck to Korean female directors and how difficult it is for them, et cetera, et cetera. And I was suggested screening a film called Singles, with, uh, starring Jung Young, who sadly passed away a few years ago. And uh, my talk sort of said where Singles was in terms of depictions of women in Korean cinema and how... It changed everything. Uh, Blah, blah, blah,
1: blah, blah. Nah, don't sell yourself, short man. I mean, this was uh, like a structured chat and planned chat. And if I know your obsessive self, then you weren't up there sort of winging it, being Mr. Stand of Comedy. Like, uh, this was, uh, I don't know, I don't know if you even script this uh, intensely and uh, practice in front of the mirror, but a talk is a talk, and I'm sure you deliver facts and context, and therefore uh, information was had by all.
0: I'll give you an exclusive, um, I guess, um, acknowledgement of my cheating. A couple of years ago, they screened singles at the KCC and the KCC asked me to introduce it. Um, So prior to doing this talk, I actually, to make life easier for myself and to have less to do, I suggested we screen singles and I could talk about it. And all I had to do was take the talk I did. And stretch it out by about ten years either side. So
1: that's fine. That's fine. It's st- it's still context. I mean, uh, it's not like the movie has changed.
0: I cheated in some respect. So because I'd given it before, I kind of knew what I was doing, and I could I could go pretty much armed to the teeth without even having to think about it. So that that was why I did it, and it sort of fitted. It. it was International Women's Day. It's about women, so it it just. It fitted quite well, I think.
1: While we're on the subject of plugging, uh, plug your website, and uh, what uh, pe- what can people expect when they go there and watch a show? What should they turn to first when they arrive at Hangul Celluloid?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, I'm Paul. I run HangulCelluloid.com, exclusive to Korean cinema talks, reviews, sort of reviews essays. I, I go into a fair bit of depth with everything, so my stuff's kind of longer than anybody else's um and a load of interviews so if if you see a film you like go over and and, and see what i've said about it and i may hopefully have i've spoken to the director at some stage so I'd, I'd suggest go and have a look at the reviews and then click click through and in any review where i've interviewed the director i'll, I'll probably mention it probably unless i forget uh, but you know hopefully you'll find something that covers a load of bases.
1: And we mentioned director Kim Ji-Woon, and you have interviewed Kim Ji-Woon how many times? Once or twice?
0: Twice. The second interview was stupidly short because they were running really, really late. So I got sat down, and and within about seven minutes, they were going, can you wrap it up? And I just wouldn't leave until I got at least a few decent questions. But the first uh, interview I did with him just after I saw The Devil, was released in Korea is a a really long interview. We talk about The Quiet Family and uh, his career and stuff. So if I was going to choose to look at one of them, I'd look at that because, you know, if I say so myself, it is quite a good interview. And it was the first ever director interview I did transcribed on the site. It looks okay. It looks fine. If you actually listen to my audio, I was bricking it. And I sound like Larry the Lamb on the the recording because I was just scared to death that he was going to go just get away from me. But there you go, it, it actually went very well.
1: But also, recordings are burned, or you're you're planning to do something with them sometime in the future.
0: I I constantly think about it. I've got them all really well categorized, which is unthinkable for me. I'm I'm so disorganized normally, and at some point I probably will. I just haven't. It's a, the the sort of text side of it. From There have been some people that you interview that are happy for you to have it written out, but they, they specifically don't want their voices used because I, I guess some of them are quite embarrassed that they can't speak fluent English. You know what I mean? It's ludicrous. But rather than having here's a recording of this one and here's a text of this one, I've sort of kept it hopefully consistent. So but it is in my mind because they're they're all there and we shall see. I'll probably do nothing about it and just carry on going as we go, but...
1: Uh, it's com and uh, all the relevant links to Paul's Endeavors will be in, in the uh, show post. Uh, in the meantime, the rest of the contact information goes as follows. Uh, this is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. Our website is podcastonfire.com where you'll find the archive of this show that deals with a variety of Korean cinema, new and old. Uh, the Quiet Family is still a new movie to me, so uh, when I say new and old, I'm thinking... A movie like this and a black and white movie. That's an old old movie. Sometimes we do that uh, mix-up. Sometimes we talk of the uber-classics of Korean cinema. and Sometimes we go a little bit obscure and under the radar. But uh, with uh, the aim of providing context nevertheless. And uh, all of that is available on podcastonfire.com along with our archive of uh, other shows that covers uh, Hong Kong cinema. Japanese cinema, we uh, talk of uh, adults-only movies, Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies. And we do audio commentaries, and there's a plethora of bonus episodes in the archive as well. If you want to hit us up on social media and uh, share some opinions, so for instance on The Quiet Family, uh, you can do so on Facebook. Uh, We have a page that you can like and support, but most of the interaction takes place in our Facebook group called Podcast on Fire network Uh, so click the facebook logo at the top of our website to reach facebook and then look us up on the site so join and uh, uh, share your opinion and uh, if you want to share it in private so to say you can do so on email podcast on fire at google because i'm sure you all uh, caught the quiet family back in the day i'm uh, late to the party even though i've been aware of it for many many years uh, also follow us on twitter uh, tweets uh, with updates and so forth and uh, you can also subscribe to us on itunes and find us on apple Podcasts. cyber on underwater korean cinema or podcast on fire network we're part of that feed and stream us on Stitcher Radio. And I write about a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies of questionable uh, content, uh, maybe quality, but uh, I'll go where my creative juices tell me to. So if I want to review uh, Taiwanese children's movies with a plethora of special effects and kung fu and wires and energy bolts and just madness all around, darn it, I'll do what I want. I'm a, I'm a big boy. I can do what I like. And that's uh, what you'll find on SoGoodReviews.com. Movie reviews of uh, Taiwanese classics such as the Jackie Chan movie Fantasy Mission Force that just divides audiences uh, and there's no middle ground in terms of Fantasy Mission Force, Paul. Either you hate it or either you realize that it's a mad comedy that is not a fit for Jackie Chan. But as you might know, that was a favorite movie. Jackie owed a favor to uh, its lead, Jimmy Wang Yu. And he paid it back by appearing in two of his produced movies, uh, but Jimmy Yu was uh, in them both. Uh, that includes Fantasy Mission Force, and Jackie also did a guest appearance in Island of Fire, the prison movie. So that was uh, to our benefit, because Jackie appears in a kooky Taiwanese movie, when he really has no place in it. Because uh, his uh, brand is not gelling with the type of Taiwanese comedy brand that's in that movie uh it's a it's a good time so it really you really should check out at least Ty- uh, uh, some taiwanese classics such as fantasy mission force sometime out of all movies to be available in hd that is they uh, they struck a really nice hd print <laughs> of it so so it's all good uh, you'll find out on my sites um, and uh, let's uh, get on with it uh, we have uh, some uh, sections here before we get to the the review section so uh, normally like a biography or something before while we're not going to go over the biography as such again of uh, director kim ji-woon like on our tale of two sisters episode we will talk of his career in a broader sense i suppose uh, while also placing the quiet family in context in 1998 uh, with it being his debut movie and all and uh, the korean cinema scene was uh, obviously existing but it wasn't quite quite the same Free, so, that, that that's a little nugget we'll uh, talk of. Uh, uh, that will all be followed uh, with our uh, buyer review on, and discussion of the Quiet Family. And time codes are in the show post for your convenience. So, here we go The Quiet Family from 1998 and plot from IMDb by uh, user Paul Ben Musa. Sort of in broad strokes, but uh, you don't need too much details sometimes. Uh, a family decides to buy a lodge in a remote hiking area. Their first customer commits suicide, though, and the distraught family buries his body to avoid the bad publicity. But their luck gets worse. The bodies start piling up, and the family becomes frantic to rectify the situation. So, sort of a recognizable plot beats, uh, not uh, uniquely Korean, but uh, that's certainly okay. In terms of background, though, this is again the directorial debut of Kim Ji woon, who also wrote the script. And he had directed theater up to this point, and he he seemingly wasn't an active short movie director yet. He he certainly did some, which we have uh, covered to a degree. But he was just one of those, <laughs> one of many fine debut filmmakers out of uh, South Korea. And uh, as I said, we've gone over his uh, biography in, in more detail in our episode on A Tale of Two Sisters, which is What's Korean Cinema episode 22, so we won't go over it again. In detail, uh, but I'll, I'll sort of keep it general while still uh, talking of his career with Paul and asking um, Paul questions. So let's start a little at uh, the timeline for for the movie itself in 1998, because the appearance of this wasn't the result of Korean cinema having blown up commercially in the wake of the action movie Shiri, because this was released a year before Shiri. so it, it, it didn't uh, it didn't follow although the quiet family is a different genre so i guess a couple of things Uh, were there any signs of korean cinema in 1998 starting to shift starting to mix genres starting to become all of a sudden way more professionalism uh, professional and uh, started to try and compete with hollywood or the feel of the quiet family was a rarity in 1998
0: all of the above I constantly, if any of you have been to my side or listened to us chatting and discussing films, I constantly talk about the New Korean cinema wave of the, quote, late 90s and early 2000s. 1998 was the year. If you look at 1997, nothing majorly comes to mind that that screams New Korean cinema to me. Um, and if you look at 1996, you had films like The Adventures of Mrs. Park, um, which was about a, a woman who... who steps outside, you know, away from marriage to do her own thing and it was the first Korean cinema film ever made that a wayward woman doing sexual things wasn't punished. Before that, every woman that did anything outside traditional, this, that and the other, got punished at the end of the film. The Adventures of Mrs. Park was just two years before The Quiet Family and it feels like old school Korean cinema with the themes of you know, from the golden age of the 60s and 70s right through 1998 was when it all changed, when Kim Ji-Woon appeared, you know, when Park Chan-wook started doing his thing. Um, I would say this is the very forefront. And as such, it was both a rarity and not, because if you take the year as a whole, it was absolutely huge in terms of classic, what are now known as classic New Korean cinema films, you know, the things that define it. But... In terms of when Kim Ji-un released or got the Quiet Family released, you know, it was a rarity, it was new, it was a big shift. So essentially, both of the, the yes, either ors that you give are right.
1: I suppose, um, you know, you you wonder why 1998 isn't singled out more and why all eyes are on Shiri, but I guess that's. Uh... Because of how commercially shiri broke through and what genre it slotted itself into, but but then that gave way to so many varied genres and expressions anyway. So it wasn't like yeah, Korean cinema was littered with shiri in a bad way or anything. So
0: I mean, the funny thing is, shiri, as you as you rightly say, is heralded as oh look, everything's exploded. It's been the cause of everything. But if you look at 1997, you know the two biggest Korean films of that year were. Whispering Corridors, which is one of the really famous high school horror things that had Memento Mori and w- Wishing Stairs, you know, schoolgirl horror. And you had Christmas in August by Herjin Ho. Melodrama galore, but again, you know, it was taking things. Melodrama was a huge thing, as we'll talk about, leading up to that for numerous political reasons. But it, it took it to a different place. It It just did it so... Understatedly, so beautifully that it, it, it too, even though it was in the same sort of theme, it rewrote Korean cinema. So everything was changing and it all started changing in 1998. It's a huge year. And yes, Sherry did explode everything. But when you look back and look at Christmas in August, Whispering Corridors, A Quiet Family, you know, it's like a Here's here's the list of films that you need to see to understand New Korean cinema. So this this year is it. This is the start.
1: And also, because I, I was around the, the forums and I, I sort of lived the hype by name only, i.e. I, the, the, these titles were being flung about the place. I was aware of probably every title that was big, but I didn't pursue many movies. But uh, my, my point is, people, you know, when they became aware of the 1999 output and onwards, they were also looking back. And they were allowed to look back because distribution totally. was secured for the Whispering Corridors and The Quiet Family and Christmas in August. So it wasn't like this was the obscure year that everyone uh, discovered in 2015.
0: Well, exactly. And, you know, I, I mean, I, as a an extra point on that, yes, everybody cites Shiri as the big thing, and it was. But if you were asking me about New Korean cinema, I would say 1998 was more important than... Sherry doing what Sherry did, because the films that were released that year are archetypal. They're huge. They're far more important to new Korean cinema than Sherry was. You know, Sherry did what it did. It's nowhere near as good a film as any of these.
1: Uh, uh, regardless though because uh, you know The Quiet Family might have the reputation it does have and it's quite a beloved movie and people talk of it in the same breath as uh, well if you're going to cite movies by Kim Ji-Woon we won't exclude it alongside Taylor Two Sisters I Saw the Devil and so forth Uh, but after all was said and done you know if you look back at that year and how and when it came out how did it do locally in terms of box office Uh, were audiences uh, responding to to the black comedy of it all
0: it did okay As I said, the two biggest films that year were Whispering Corridors and a a romantic melodrama about a gang leader and a doctor who fall in love called A Promise, which is not it's sort of been left by the wayside since the quiet family had three hundred and forty three thousand nine hundred and forty six tickets sold. So it did okay, but it wasn't anywhere near the top ten. And neither, it has to be said, was Christmas in August, which, you know, they're both hugely classic now. They're both pivotal, but they did OK. They they had decent amounts of of things, but nowhere near a million submissions, which is closer to what Whispering Corridors and the like had. So average, average It, it for a, a first time director, he did OK.
1: These are things I'm interested in because it has a handful of faces. The quiet family. that are mainstays and veterans of Korean cinema. Now, you know, um, some of them had been at it for a while. So some of these felt like young careers, but. Uh, Obviously, we have uh, much uh, younger versions of uh, now familiar faces. Uh, Song Kang-ho, actor Song Kang-ho, is here. Choi Min-sik is here. Even uh, Jung Jae-young turns up in a little role here, looking uh, mm-hmm. looking like he's uh, auditioning for a Joker or something because he's uh, he's got a particular smile on. Uh, that just screamed That just scream to me. Just put him in like a, a Batman universe, and he would fit. Well, right? yeah, I don't know.
0: Totally. I haven't haven't said that if you were taking his his other half as he does to the hotel, you'd have a smile on your face as well. But anyway, right on.
1: Uh, all of them are here. Uh, so regardless, did any of these cast members or the elder cast members have any commercial pull, or or who 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 do we turn to in terms of? Who would the audience show up for if they wanted to see the Quiet Family?
0: I mean, the, the funny thing is, if if you were to guess, you know, you've got Song Kang Ho, you've got Choi Min Sik, and and you think, oh, they're the they're big hitters, they're big hitters, but it's they're so young in this that it can't be them. Oh, so, it it's so be... young, you
1: just want to squeeze uh, Song Kang Ho's face. Look at you, you look well, so young. You, you, if
0: if you want to, you keep that to yourself. Um, uh... <laughs>
1: I wouldn't fuck with Choi Min Sik though. He still looks dangerous to me. So
0: yeah, he, he always looked always looked dangerous, even as a you know a, an uncle. You would almost assume that the older members of the cast, like Park and Wan, who plays the the oldest, the the patriarchal figure, or Nan Moon-hee, who plays his wife. You would think that they're bound to be the big hitters. They're bound to have been of the time, and they really weren't. Parkin Wan had only done three, maybe four films before The Quiet Family. And Namun Moon Hee, The Quiet Family was her first film. And I mean, she's gone on to huge, huge stardom in sort of mother roles. But if you look at the age of her in this, she is, she's mother age.
1: It's a, it's a late starter.
0: A very late starter. So, you know, if you look at the whole cast, the one that you would say was the biggest pull, was Chamin Sick because he'd done seven movies prior to The Quiet Family, whereas everybody else had sort of done one, two, you know, uh, Song Kang-ho had done three. Um, if you look at Jun jae Young, he'd done five before, or it, I think The Quiet Family was maybe his fifth film. So, you know, really it's those two that were bigger than anybody else, but they certainly weren't big. And if you look at where Shiri took the careers of Song Kang-ho and JSA and et cetera, et cetera, that just exploded his career in Shaman 6, subsequent, you know, happy end exploding his, they weren't big at all. So the, the cast here is what you would expect for a first time director who doesn't have any experience. He's getting smaller people to do what they do. And it just it all worked Perfectly, but there are there are certainly no, you know, huge box office stars in Song Kang Ho and Choi Min Sik as they would become just a few years later.
1: And, and and maybe that therefore wouldn't provide the distraction of having a star amidst this ensemble piece. So maybe it's better to have slightly anonymous faces, uh, considering uh, there's no true leader here. Uh, all of them are. Yeah. Um, it's a sort of a unit movie, ensemble movie. So um.
0: I- I would, I would kind
1: of agree with that. So, as I said, instead of rehashing the biography from the episode on a Tale of Two Sisters, where we discuss Kim Ji-won's uh, filmography up to a certain point, I, I wanted to sort of get your take on how you know on the trajectory of the filmmaker how it grew commercially in korea so for instance across his next few films such as uh, the foul king which is about a bank clerk who becomes a pro wrestler a tale of two sisters which is a horror film horror drama a bittersweet life that's violent gangster stuff Uh, if you simplify it uh, you know was the versatility within these films like good for Kim's voice and that prevented him from being slotted into one specific category as director because it's a black comedy here with the debut. The Foul King, I assume, is funny, maybe dramatic at points. Taylor of Two Sisters is pretty much horror and uh, Bittersweet Life is stylish van- gangster stuff. So was that good for him to just dip his toe into all kinds of things? So.
0: It's It's a really, really interesting trajectory if you look at his career i mean originally as we said the quiet family was kim june's first film he'd never directed a film before he'd never you know he didn't do any shorts as we've mentioned the rumor goes and this is according to kim whether whether he's just you know said it to give lore to his career or if it really is true i don't know but he said he crashed his car and once he crashed his car, he needed money to get a new car <laughs> or to get th- to get it fixed. So he entered two scripts to two competitions. One, Premiere, which is a sort of a it, it's a you know you all know Premiere over internationally, but it was also a a film magazine in Korea, and the other was Cine Twenty One, which is I suppose the archetypal Korean Korean review site. The Quiet Family was what he. Submitted to Sydney 21, it was the one that was accepted. And meung films that, that made the film just went, do what you want. We, we love this concept. And they took a big risk because he'd never said he'd never been on a film set before. So once he did that and it had the success that it did, you know, average though it was, he got to go ahead to make The Foul King, which really, you know, pushed Song Kang's whole, whole career through the roof and made the film very successful. Um, can
1: Can I just ask you a bit, a bit briefly about The falking? I'm just going by gut feeling because I haven't seen it. I obviously know the image of uh, him in the wrestling mask and all of that. Is that mixing comedy and heartfelt stuff? Is it going for that sort of mixture, being broad and then taking things down to earth and uh, all of that stuff?
0: Yes, and it's also very very funny. I mean, it's about a bank teller who who essentially wouldn't say Buddha Goose and he you know he's getting trampled left right and centre by everybody he comes into contact with so he decides he's going to try and take up wrestling to get a bit of backbone really and he goes he goes, and he finds, I, I mentioned singles earlier which stars Jan Young, Young um, who sadly passed away from stomach cancer when she was only 35 years old but she is in The Foul King as the gym instructor. So you've got this mild-mannered little man going to this feisty female who, you know, beats him up quite a lot and teaches him how to be a man and how to become an individual. So it, it's very, you know, little man on the minority of everything. It's just a almost a, a rights movie, not coming of age, but, you know, in terms of getting your life worth needs to be it's just very very funny and it just it just fitted with the whole male female switch thing
1: so if we move forward a little bit i mean certainly you found out uh, at least in um, as you familiarized yourself with korean cinema how his trajectory grew from the foul king and then leading into the even bigger movies. I mean, certainly there was an international profile growing here, you know, uh, connected to the name, Kim Ji-Woon, you know, and the popularity of Korean films was increasing anyway. And horror would mean distribution in in the West, so therefore A Tale of Two Sisters got exposure, but... uh, you know I, I I keep hopping on about the fact that well how, you know how can you describe his voice when he does so many things and is that a good thing because after of the tale of two sisters for instance you, you know uh, for fast forwarding you got bright light and the western uh, in, in style for the good the bad and the weird which blew up really well internationally and then he you know switches back to action and then violence and horror all in one reportedly with i saw the devil so i mean at least on paper it sounds like he goes from big to small or even big to even personal so I suppose that's compelling but like, like is, is it even easy to say like what are distinguishing features of his trajectory when it's so varied you know what I mean like you it seems unpredictable what he's going he's not going for the obvious things and growing towards the obvious things you know
0: you can blame Korean cinema for that as well it, it shaped what he did when he did The Quiet Family it was fairly successful, as we said, the foul King was even more successful. And once that had done, Kim was only getting offered comedy. Will you direct this comedy? We've got a script. Will you direct this comedy? Will you write us a, a comedy and direct it? And he just didn't want to do it. He'd done two comedies, okay, admittedly, one's a comedy horror, and the other's you know, much more offbeat relationship comedy. But he just, he he wasn't having it. He didn't want to get typecast. He didn't want to be seen as, oh, I'm going to be doing comedies for the rest of my life. So he chose to do a short film called Memories for a really famous New Korean cinema anthology called Three. I, I'm, I'm sure I, I have a funny feeling you've seen it, actually.
1: Well, uh, well, 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 to be fair, we should also say it features uh, a short movie from Thailand and a short movie from Hong Kong, so it was a panacea totally. uh, yeah, uh, yeah. uh, co-production kind of thing.
0: But, you know, in, in terms of what he'd done with The Quiet Family, if you look at it, it's it's beautiful enough, but it's very what you would expect a normal film to be as is the foul king it's even you know smaller in terms of the way it looks and because he was getting offered comedies from this that and the other he decided to go completely the other side and make an utterly beautiful visual short that was a horror and memories was hugely well received and if you look at his work after that whether you're talking about the good, the bad, the weird, whether you're talking about all, you know, I saw the devil, whatever, you look at all his films and he has an eye for beauty. And that eye for beauty stands out far more after Memories than it did before. So Memories really shaped what he became. And rather than a director taking, you know, themes and concerts like, like Kim Ki-young forever with his his Despicable Women, Kim ji un took different, Completely different themes, completely different genres, and just jump from one to the other with the the linking factor actually being the beauty. And you could say Park chan did that as well, and he probably gets more credit for it because his films are gorgeous. But Kim ji woons the same thing. So memories and the fact that he wasn't getting offered what he wanted changed his outlook on the way he made films and this sort of films that he wanted to make so look at it as visual with a story rather than a film with visuals
1: was there any other short movie that he did that sort of blew you away and added to that voice i remember didn't he participate in one of those short movie projects that also involved Park Chan-wook and Kim Ji-won made um, a romantic short
0: of sorts he did indeed um it's it's a the, the name of it actually escapes me but um
1: did it one of those two did they did something called a day or one day or something
0: one day that's exactly what it's called um it's his first romantic comedy it's about a, a guy who finds who's looking for a girlfriend and every everyone he meets they they you know diss him off and he can't find anybody and it's a whole rock there's a whole rock paper scissors theme to it where eventually he finds the girl who likes rock paper scissors as much as him you watch it and you think this is Kim jong it's well made and it just doesn't grab you and the, the male character is just such a uh, there, there's a feisty female in it which is a good thing but really not his forte and thankfully he sort of stayed away from romantic comedy since then and I think that's why because it wasn't that well received
1: yeah I remember he I have a doubt some other projects he was involved in involved uh, a, a, a it was a tech company behind it so it might have been shot on a phone or featured uh, a certain tech or whatever have you so he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah he was certainly involved in that Even in passing conversation, uh, uh, and and that's the way Paul likes it to stay, (laughs) we've mentioned that uh, Kim Ji-Woon had this uh, Hollywood adventure in the form of uh, making the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie The Last Mm. Stand. And that was not to your liking personally, and that's certainly fine. I've heard people like it, some people don't, and it sort of disappeared after that. So it's not this uh, epically spoken of uh, action movie or anything. Based on your note, it didn't feel like much of Kim's identity was uh, even in there and uh...
0: it it felt like none of his identity was in there from my point of view um i just my biggest problem with it was the the culmination it was just so predictable and unoriginal it didn't it didn't do him justice um it does have to say we said if any of you are listening from the uk um i think it's e4 on freeview tv the last stand shown on average, once a fortnight.
1: <laughs> gotta make our money back somehow by screening it and screening it.
0: <laughs> you know, so even though it didn't do anything for me, I've probably seen it as many times as I've seen all his other films, you know, because it's just never ending on the TV and you just think, well, it's Kim ji and I'll just watch it again.
1: Yeah, yeah, you tell yourself that, Paul.
0: But at least I can <laughs> say it wasn't a f- didn't like it from a first watch and never went back to it. I, I, I didn't like it particularly on 300 watches but there you go it, it's just not kim ji it's just not him
1: i mean uh, the identity of directors were did you know disappearing in hollywood movies that that would happen to hong kong directors too and uh, even when actors were brought over to hollywood to do international work and uh, but but you know something is shifting i think in uh, you know in 2018 or 2019 with streaming platforms being being so widely available, and also uh, even if something is done for TV, it ends up on streaming platforms. And if we talk a little bit about pok Chan Wook is was doing last year and is going to continue to do, uh, he did an acclaimed TV series last year for uh, for one of the English TV channels, I believe. Yeah, uh, for the
0: B- for the BBC. Yeah,
1: uh, called Little Drama Girl, and it was uh, in English. Uh, starred. Uh, um, Alexander Skarsgård, um, Michael Shannon, and I forget the lady's name in it. Uh, but it was nice to see they weren't just shoving him into something standardized and connected to genre. And they're like, your hot name will bring you over and give you all the freedom in the world. That's me, And you can have a horror movie, hurrah for you. That's all they're going to give you. But here it seemed like... Uh, they gave him both a TV series to work uh, work off of and, you know, six episodes or whatever. But uh, I'm to a question. Is that a more sensible option for distinctive creators from Korea or whatever they're from to give them material and more room to move on TV? And hence, also as a side effect of this or a good side effect, they can also get exposure on the streaming platform. So, you know, sh- sh- showing Park chan into TV land is not... Uh, uh, sort of um, demoting him or anything, right?
0: I totally agree. And I, I think it is the way to go. I think a lot, uh, the stream, you know, stream of platforms, whether, whether it's Amazon Prime or Netflix, whatever, getting more and more into Korean stuff because there's a bigger awareness has really snowballed. And I mean, in the years since, you know, since Parchanak did Stoker and since Kim Jong-un did The Last Stand, since Bong Joon Ho did Snowpiercer, Things have changed where it seems these streaming platforms are happier and the like, and even television companies are are happier and more content to say, well, this Korean thing's big, let's give them a leeway, whereas back in the day, dragging them all over to the states to do their individual films. I don't think any of them got as much control as they would be given now if it, it was repeated because it's just the the whole streaming thing, the, the availability has really, really pushed Korean cinema once again to the forefront or, or equally with everything else. And I think it's a hugely positive thing. But in terms of Parchanuk getting offered television, yeah, why not give them television? They're directors, they, they they know how to direct. And if if you look at The Little Drummer Girl, it's so Parchanuk, it's, it's unbelievable, even though it's in English, even though it's set in, in Europe, you know, it's him, it's him, it's him. And I don't think he would have been able to do that had it been at the time when he did Stoker even
1: yeah and that's even though it was made for tv it ends up on various streaming platforms and and the the exposure gets uh, automated that way and uh, but, but but as you say they give them control they give them uh, uh, options and freedom and uh, a little bit more expensive um, palette to work work from and uh, i i just added it to my list I, I because i i've heard of it it's a big big hyped thing but uh even though i'm interested in, in your opinion ultimately I'll, I'll decide what i watch i'm gonna ask this regardless uh, kingdom the zombie uh, the zombie tv series that uh, yes. was either picked up for netflix or made for netflix
0: it, it was made it was made with netflix um it, it's a ne- it's a netflix production
1: and Korean TV series. I don't know how many episodes it's been, if they're going to go, if they went for a 20 plus episode or Regardless, um, seen it yourself, any good or not, or is it just the same old zombie
0: stuff? Kingdom is phenomenal.
1: It's a period uh, zombie horror thing, right?
0: Period zombie horror thing. And I'm not going to say anything else about the story. I challenge anyone to watch the first episode and not immediately go to watch the second episode 5 minutes later the first season has all, is all that's been released there i think they're either in the middle of filming the second season or they're close to finishing i'm not i'm not sure i think it, it's still in production or has started production but the the first season only has 6 episodes so you've if right, you've got netflix this. you've no excuse you can watch it all in a day and if you need any other push to watch it the main female character is um beduna who most of you will hopefully know from she's done she's done lots of international stuff as well she's done um she did um It, which was like a, a sort of a sci-fi tv series Um she did she's been in korean films like a girl at my door she was in cloud atlas with um
1: Oh well, well, Tom Hanks uh, in multiple roles. There rows. you go. Yeah.
0: It's good it's good that I can remember her name and forget Tom Hanks's name. I'm proud of that. Um you know, so she's done a lot of international stuff, a lot of Korean stuff and she is phenomenal. She's so talented and she's just great in Kingdom.
1: And it was also a global rollout, so presumably uh, hopefully hopefully in Korea as well. Uh, everybody can go watch uh, Kingdom. So it's not that Netflix really localizes the big TV series we're we, we're getting global rollouts of uh, things, and yeah. uh, I'd rather see that than ten more stand-up specials. I'd rather have more series of a variety uh, of a varied nature.
0: The the other thing to to note about things like that is Netflix. You know, and if you look back at like things like Okja that Bong Joon Ho did, um, you either loved it or you hated it. I hated Jake Gyllenhaal's thing. It was a Netflix thing. It, it felt there were parts wrong. If you look at Ilang the Wolf Brigade that Kim Ji un did. There's lots wrong with it. But as Netflix carries on, it seems to be giving more freedom, as we were saying, to creators. And if you look at Kingdom, it's it's Korean cinema in six episodes, really. You know, it's it's got violence, it's got horror, it's got humongous humor. It's just what Korean cinema always tries to be. And, and it's a TV series that succeeds in doing that. It's great
1: and it was not like this it was a it never sounded like a cheap uh, sort of imitation of train to busan and uh, pe- pe- people trying to capitalize on it it was not like it was like caught to busan just because
0: <laughs> not not in any, any way shape or form the only thing reminiscent of train to busan in kingdom is the fact that the zombies are fast you remember train to busan that the thing that struck me about it most was you know the acrobatic nature of half of it and they're, they're feisty and fast in kingdom but it's it's just in kingdom too rather than it being a takeoff because of train to busan um it's completely separate completely different i think we should see more historical monster movies i love it love it
1: do you think Kim Ji boon would fit that mold of going uh, back to TV, making a limited uh, six-episode arc? Or ha- has he transitioned away from the small more and more, considering subsequent movies that he made, such as The Age of Shadows, uh, Ilang, The Wolf Brigade, as you mentioned, that Netflix picked up? It, or, or like many directors out of Korea, you, you don't get lost, on, and he didn't get lost just because he got to play with money and budget and more epic nature to his films?
0: Yeah, you know, I I think Kim ji you know, he has done shorts and whatever, but if you look at Park chan through his career, you know, he's done a few big, big things, and then he's going to and done a tiny little thing, or he's done a short here and there. Kim ji yeah, to a certain degree, but really you can tell films his thing. That's what, what he wants to do. So I, I don't think it would appeal to him that much. I mean, he'd already done The Last Stand, by the time I I did the first interview with him and you could tell he did not want to talk about having gone to the States, you know, it was was sort of in the idea of, uh, well, I got invited, I went and I've done it now. And I'm, you know, it was almost like I don't want to do that anymore. It, It didn't work for me. And, you know, he goes back to doing his big, big Korean thing, you know, but, on this, on the same level, he too is, of course, getting involved with the whole streaming thing, the whole Netflix thing. You know, Elan, the Wolf, Wolf Brigade was a Netflix production, so
1: eventually, like I, I remember, they, they, it seems like they began to make it, and somewhere along the line, somewhere around the time they were closing up uh, production, either filming or post-production, Netflix came in pretty rapidly, so it, it, yeah. uh, it became a reality before release, that it was going to end up on Netflix, but it wasn't uh, like Okja, which was, I believe, uh, just uh, from from the get-go.
0: No, no, it wasn't. It was, it was as, as it progressed, you say, as it progressed. Uh,
1: what's coming after, Ilan? Do we know that from Kim Ji-won? Just to put you on the spot a little.
0: I, I, you're putting me on the spot. I have no idea. There's, as far as I'm aware, there has been no specific mention of what he's doing or if he's actually doing something right at this moment, so... I, I guess we'll just wait and see.
1: Hopefully you have an uh, appreciation of uh, how uh, Kim uh, navigated the, the Korean cinema his particular way. But uh, going back to The Quiet Family and uh, our review and discussion of it, some uh, more specifics, I suppose. And as for my short opinion, this was my first time watched. Despite knowing of the movie, I never pursued it or decided at one point that, well, I'll let the first time be when I do it for work. So, so hence I did. Uh, it's a very amusing time with uh, the dark comedic nature of murder and things and plants spiraling out of control at the forefront so it's very recognizable Uh, it features a very game cast that needs to have good sync and chemistry for the banter and the droll comedy to work and they do they really do Uh, it gets a little bit too busy plot-wise towards the latter stages and maybe too quirky for its own good as it wraps up but that sort of the only um, flaw I could find in an otherwise straightforward time. Essentially some of the two uh, last images of the film was uh, where I scratched my head and uh, where the sort of debut filmmaker got a little bit too uh, up his own butt, I think. <laughs> because it's been a, a very very straightforward time and then it became uh, quite playful and meta all of a sudden, it looked like. But uh, anyway, that's, uh, it showcases a voice and it's a cool voice that's uh, uh, out of the gate. So uh, very, uh, it's uh, quite amusing and fun. And, uh, as for your short opinion uh, for this uh, rewatch, uh, what did you think of The Quiet Family?
0: I love The Quiet Family. The funny thing is, we also, I don't know if I'm giving away something I shouldn't, but we're we're going to be doing a bonus episode on a, a remake of it. And when I first watched The Quiet Family, you know, my focus is Korean film. I will then, if it's based on a Japanese thing, I'll go and suss out the Japanese thing, specifically because of the link to the Korean film, whether one's been made from the other or vice versa. And I did that at the time. I mean, I saw The Quiet Family... Actually, before I started writing about Korean cinema, so it's a long time ago, and I searched out The Happiness of the Katakuris and I, I preferred it at the time. I really thought it was funnier, it was wackier, it was more surreal. In getting ready for this, I rewatched both and I've changed my opinion completely. I absolutely prefer The Quiet Family because it's got tone, because it's got quite understated humor, but more than that, because it is massively Korean when you when you look at it you know back in the day there were a lot of things i missed in terms of what it says about korea but the, the film is hugely political and it says an awful lot about korean culture and korean cinema from then till now if you look at dysfunctional families they're everywhere in korean cinema whether you, you you look at you know boomerang family et cetera et cetera and when you look at a quiet family this this was the start of the whole it's okay to laugh at dysfunction mm-hmm. um you know and and they're so dysfunctional, every one of them is a fool, and every one of them thinks every other one's an idiot it's just and they say it in their faces you know you you're just you're just an idiot
1: but 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 that uh, political undertones that you have identified now. That doesn't mean, I know this, but the, the, that doesn't mean the movie turns uh, somber and, and becomes a lecture, right? So...
0: No, no, certainly, certainly, certainly not. But it, it's it's that classic thing with Korean cinema. Every time we have one of these discussions, I'll talk about what's going on underneath.
1: It's all about the Yu massacre again. Damn it, it was a com- comedy, for heaven's sake, Paul.
0: You know what I'm going to be talking about in a minute? Uh, anyway, um, you know, I'll constantly say you don't have to know anything about that to get the film it's only there if you want to look deeper and that that's sort of that's a good thing from my point of view and when i watched the quiet family way back when and i didn't know as much about korean politics etc i saw it as a a wacky you know funny film about a family that everything they do goes horribly wrong and it just gets constantly worse and worse and that is Korean cinema as well. If you look at a hard day or even going back to the new Korean cinema wave of films like Just Do It, this dysfunctional family, they decide they'll do insurance fraud or this, that and the other, and everything they do just collapses around their ears and it all falls apart. And it's just that's that's a Koreanness to it. But what you don't realise is that Kim Ji-un was really, really demonstrative in his hatred of the the dictatorial regime of Park Chung-hee, who was the father of, you know, impeached President Park, who was was impeached a a couple of years ago or last year. What you've got here are, are tiny little undertones. If you look at the film, and I understand anybody international would probably have missed this. At the very start of the film, there's a sign that says, or is meant to say, Misty Villa, which is the name of the hotel. When you look at the Korean... It's actually misspelt in the film and it says safe house. And the whole thing about the Park Chung-hee regime was there were these political safe houses. He was actually, he he was killed in one. Underneath everything, he's he's digging at Dictator Park. You know, you look at the guy who, you look at the guy who sold them the hotel. His his surname's Park and he's he knows there's a road going to be built and he's moved them all in there. And, you know, everything's going to be displaced by this road. And if you look at Park Chung-hee's regime, they moved loads of people out of areas so that they could modernize, so that they could build. So in every instant, whether it's funny, whether it's horrific, no matter what, you look underneath it. And Kim ji woon is saying President Park's regime just nearly destroyed Korea. And he, I, I'll, I'll finish this monologue with a quote from Kim jong himself um, when he was talking about the quiet family he said the reason he wrote the story as it was was and I quote the government has killed people this family kills people it's exactly the same thing
1: and those layers they, they make sense that they're there because it, it's a local film and they, you, you make movies with recognizable elements either as a release valve or uh, to sort of poke uh, fun or poke hard at something you care about so to place it in a sort of, sort of multi-mood exercise of mostly light proportions because the, the, this is a comedy, it never really gets serious at any point uh, the bloodshed is quite funny and uh and uh, there's no melodrama or any heartfelt nature to anything because, as you said, the, this family unit—they're they're all uh, a, a bunch of clowns really, a bunch of nutters. But that's not a bad thing. I don't think it like, clashes when you know of uh, what he's doing. It's more uh, sly, if anything. And uh, like like he means it in a serious way, but can be sort of sly and uh, and uh, poke a little in wounds and say, oh, "Well, I'm aware of, I'm aware of what what's happening."
0: Totally, and you know from from. My point of view, I love the fact that, you know, you go to the film, if you're not aware of any of that, it doesn't matter. It, it It's it's a funny, witty, you know, well-made little film. And only in a rewatch, if you're aware there's some politics going on, you can choose to look at it or not. And what, no matter what he's saying, it's just, it's nice to say, well, it is political, but at the same time, you can completely ignore it and it's not. You know, so I I think I think it's beautifully done, and all the context
1: I had was uh, was what's on the screen, which is uh, my perspective of it all. But it, it certainly is a very playful uh, audio wise and visually, and uh, quite a slick movie, a professional movie, as we initially see the camera drift through the almost um, expertly uh, production designed uh, and lit house, and it's set to. Uh, uh, rap music with, uh, it's not even in English, I think, uh, maybe not even in Korean. So uh, it, the the movie features quite a, a worldly, global soundtrack, if you will. Uh, uh, so it's not aiming for brooding. And then, obviously, Kim drops a voiceover about uh, the move uh, for the whole family to dislodge the business acquisition that it is. Some were enthusiastic, some were not so eager. And he establishes a, a good Dry, droll tone here. It's hard to get that comedy right, but when it works, it works because they're obviously not getting business at the beginning But when it seems like they're getting business, they're all excited. There they go out to watch the hikers come up, come up the hill and past the house. So they were not coming to us and then they start cursing at them. Like, What do you know? We don't want you here anyway. And even when the phone rings, they all fight to answer the phone. So it's that clownish unit, you know, just uh, almost juggling the phone in the air. I'll get it. No, I'll get it. I'll get it. So it's it's comedic desperation. Uh, you you would assume that they're they're uh, you know they're in debt by this point, so uh, they uh, they need to drum up some uh, some business. But <laughs> they are messed up family. If uh, maybe if I maybe I misunderstood this, but at one point they, they're sort of happily playing strangulation games with each other.
0: Yep. Chairman sick being the one behind strangulation when you consider the, the the later stuff we did with I saw the devil and whatever you just like there yeah, it's coming it's coming
1: <laughs> warm up, baby at one point, I think they hit their dog off screen as well just to shut shut him up or
0: one of the most it just it screams of the humor in the quiet family the The family are sitting around having dinner, and they're completely dysfunctional, they argue all the time, and you've got the young girl mina um just ranting on they meet an old woman an old mad woman who spits and goes <laughs>
1: and
0: you've got little mina sitting at the, ta- the dinner table and all she keeps going is <laughs> and trying to get it right
1: they're, they're they're recapping it at dinner which is so uh disgusting that they're they're recapping how the phlegm sounded essentially yeah totally
0: Totally. Uh, uh, But, you know, they're they're doing that. They're completely dysfunctional all the time. But they're sitting there having dinner. The older man, the the father, is so frustrated that they're not getting any guests. They're not making any money. He just quietly sets his chopsticks down, gets up, walks over off screen. And you just hear him kicking the dog and the dog going. "Ah!" And then he walks back into screen. Sits back down and starts eating again. It's just which is it's wholly that
1: unacceptable because I'm a dog guy, but it's so out of <laughs> left field funny because totally. it's uh, you know you you got all the actors uh, gathered here and everybody needs to work off each other. You know, um, he, you know, he needs to capture that and make that look professional, of course, and he does. You know, sh- shooting anything across tables is a uh, is, is a boring endeavor as many movie directors. So would say but but the, the the movie really screens professionalism because the, the the camera is active the interiors are quite nicely expansive it's drenched in colors here and there and uh so it, it's it's not this static comedic time or anything uh, yeah uh, but but it's not overly stylized either it's not anxious out of the gate like i'm only gonna make one movie so i'm just gonna go nuts nope no, not really he uh he's uh reeled in and uh, it seems to me he's trying to honor the fact that well, I've I've worked to make this cast gel off screen in rehearsal and all of that, so I need to uh, honor that and make that uh, appear on uh, on screen and uh, their various uh, level of. Uh, mad and, uh, and and nutty as they turn on each other they're, they're quickly to turn on each other they're, whether they're old or young and uh, they're, they're all operating on the same sort of nutty frequency which is important yeah. to then translate through the actors, uh, because no, no one is slightly more sane uh, to me, they're all <laughs> equally in tune <laughs> you know
0: Totally, they're they're all as mad as each other I love the fact that father and mother at one point just standing behind the counter and she says something about one of the other members of the family being a little bit strange, and the father just turns around and goes, yeah, you want to talk about strange? Mina, and that's the young girl, she's going to grow up to be one weird girl. And it's just it's just perfection. It's just gorgeous that they're just happy to say, you know, my daughter, she's she's not quite, quite right, really. It's, it's wonderful, wonderful.
1: But technically, he is playing with tension, though, mixed with quirky. Uh, which m- makes this playful in a good way, and that's why, you know, the cinematographer gets to play as well. Because at one point, Song Kang Ho recaps the uh, the deliver the, the beer delivery encounter to the first guest that eventually kills himself, and and you know uh, he opens the door and the lodger opens and talks about you know life being a lonely lonely life and a lonely endeavor. So he plays with visuals and the cinematography and darkness and shadows. You know, uh, b- b- being comfortable already with some horror tactics
0: it's funny from from a a rewatch point of view when you look at the very first scene when the young girl mina is just bored out of her skull lying on the sofa and she looks to the ceiling and he does this whole pull away frame you know all that came to my mind was a tale of two sisters when you go down the corridor of the the hotel dark and moody with sort of wallpaper again it just screamed the visuals in the tale of two sisters and you can almost see him before he's even got the concept of making a tale of two sisters, he's already getting used to things that will become part of his his trademarks. I think it's beautifully realised, yeah.
1: And and you know, even the slow camera moves through the corridors and uh, re- really those details matter. Other details that matter is the fact that uh, when they discover the uh, the body. The, the trigger for the scene is Song Kang-ho slipping in blood, which he does beautifully because mm-hmm. the, it, it's not a massive sort of like slow motion pratfall because that was a comedy moment. No, but it's all sort of like whoop. And, you know, you can just imagine him falling on his ass really, really hard. And those details matter. And, you know, yeah. obviously the visual of the guest having fashioned the key into a weapon uh, well, uh, 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 an implement for, for suicide. So we, we, we never see him do it, but you can just imagine that wasn't easy to perform <laughs> on yourself. Um, and 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 here the black comedy, sort of the expected black comedy that you sort of recognize from other movies, whether they're just completely the same or completely not the same. I kept thinking for some reason because it's made at the same time sort of of the um, uh, movie Very Bad Things, the American movie Very Bad Things. Uh, it's it's way different than I think even darker. <laughs> uh, the Christian Slater movie and uh, uh, the the killer hooker in Vegas, and then uh, that's just the beginning of it. But but yeah, I, I appreciated the, the the stylish showcases that that almost felt uh, sometimes random just because Kim wanted to play, but it fits. At one point, the father lights a, a cigarette in close up, and you see the cocks in his head uh, starting to move. How he's going to take charge? How to solve this situation? Because. It's escalating. Obviously, uh, we want to reveal all the killings, of course, but um, there are further deaths that are out of their hand. People come and they kill themselves. looks like God damn it. it's happening again. It's almost that uh, aura of the film, like, oh, "Let's get on with it." Where's the shovel? You know, we gotta do it again. So, uh, but 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 the escalation is. Um, it's fun. It it works with the tan in tandem with the score. At one point, they they sort of need to make it. Um, it's part of the labor that now <laughs> running this uh, lodge, and I don't think it's ever a problem that we never really found out that find out anything about the family. We we they operate as a unit in this scenario, and that's fine. You know what I mean? Like like there's no real extensive background on, I uh, remember uh, in the Japanese movie, essentially the either the, the Song Kang-ho or the Choi Min-6 or a representation in the Japanese movie, they, they talked about one of them having been a criminal, and I'm not sure that was extensively mentioned in the Korean version, that the uncle, Choi Min-6 character, was uh, a former criminal that's now trying to do good.
0: It's actually Song Kang-ho. They don't say what it is, it's just when when the wallet disappears up from the the first, the guy that committed suicide, they can't find the wallet, they assume in the same way, they assume that Song Kai Ho has taken it um, because of his criminal past, and they won't go to the police because of his criminal past, and that's all they say. So it's a lot more passing than it is in the Japanese version, but it is there.
1: Is that enough, you think? Because uh, we, if they'd stayed if they'd had no development and just been this nutty family, well, it would have been a fun movie, I think, but they, is it good to have him passing, but not stopping the movie for 10 minutes to explain the entire story? Uh, Just, just drop little details is fine.
0: I think so. I think in this case, it it really works because you're really in the moment of this absolutely nutty family. And it does have to be said there, there were some, quite a few critics at the time of its release who, postured that perhaps the film is actually the entire imagination of the the young girl, Mina, um, and that when she falls asleep on the, or when she lies back on the sofa, she actually falls asleep and she dreams it all falling apart. That's deep in
1: there, though. No,
0: way, way deep. But whether you believe that or not, I think it sort of works that we, we just need the little pointers. We don't need to know what his criminal... Thing was just that there was something, but it's all about the dysfunction. It's all about you know the family falling apart and turning on each other, and it it all works in terms of that. Whereas in other films, I might I might have had a criticism, of really nothing bad to say.
1: Song Kang Ho is a hoot, though. Uh, he is uh, he's wonderful. He is an idiot, but he becomes good at burying people. That he finds his forte a little bit. And uh, he, he's uh, he's in his mid twenties, seemingly the character, and he's almost uh, purring out like his Bart Simpson, uh, crank calling people, and then you know in this case he is listening in on people having sex by after he's placed the call and managed to, to <coughs> ma- manage to keep the line open. And when you know his parents uh, catches him, you know what are you doing? I'm calling a friend. You have a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I put the phone down go to work motherfucker you, you know they, 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 it, it's very you, you know they, they don't have any filter with each other they don't particularly like each other but uh, you know Family just lays together, stays together. I suppose uh, you know. Well, the, there you go, yeah. You know, the old saying, and you park in one as the uh, as the uh, father, the, the elder of the family. He he's fun as because he he's grumpy. He can't even go to the toilet and be left alone because there's or by this point there's always something going on. Always people shouting. Maybe someone else has died. The, you know those damn kids can't do anything right. Maybe the third highlight I want to mention because Song Kang Ho, together with Choi Min Sik, makes a great double act, comedic double act. Oh, totally. At one point, there they need to get the attention of uh, Jung Jae Young's uh, character. Again, they're not after killing him, but they need to get his attention. And they they have the, they have an axe and a knife, respectively, I think, or axe or a butcher's knife or something. And they're signaling to him like, hey, hey and Jung obviously like mm, no 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 not going over there And in the subtitles uh, and I'm sure it approximates the Korean dialogue but they do realize that the reason they're not coming towards us and one of the guys says maybe it's because we're waving these things around yeah. and that sort of almost dry matter of fact dialogue just hit me right in the sweet spot because that is everything funny that they, they realize that they, oh, oh, oh we are stupid yeah. We are really dumb. <laughs> and uh, they're up to that task. I mean, we we regard them as dramatic thespians, both of them. But they are, at least in the case of this, and I'm sure they've done comedies galore since then. But in, here in the early careers, they're, they're more than up to the task of uh, getting the comedic tone uh, right, uh, like you read about. So Has It hasn't been more ov- obvious in the early careers of these two. Song Kang-ho and Choi and they never really went back to extensive comedies.
0: If you look at Song Kang-ho, um, he'd done, I think, three films before this. He'd done Hong Sang-soo's The Day a Pig Fell into the Well, which is which is serious. He'd done Greenfish, which is gangster comedy. He does a good show in it, but nowhere nowhere near as effective as he was in The Quiet Family, even though Greenfish is quite possibly a, a better film. He did number three, which is another sort of thing. He, he's, he's been there before. He he really comes into his own in the quiet family. And, you know, when he goes to the Foul King and does it again, um, you just tell he's, his career's just going to go through the roof, whatever he does, you know. And even if you look at things like, like JSA, it is hugely funny as it goes through, even though it's a serious film. And a lot of that humour is down to him. So, you know, early signs were great and he's just... You know, he he's honed it and honed it and honed it and he can just cover anything now. Um, same with Chairman Sick.
1: Doesn't seem destined for comedy, but when he's sort of stripped down and is not at least psychotic, that's, he, he, can, he can feel more like uh, he looks very regular and therefore the comedy can come out of that a little bit
0: totally totally i think i think he's just you know he'd done seven films before so he he was kind of a name and i think he just he'd already honed his talent that he could do whatever he needed to do
1: going back a little bit to the technical nature of the film it really kind of looks like a technician or a good team of technicians uh, are behind this because everything needs clarity and sharpness in movements you know when it comes to the camera works work, the story beats, the character banter, but nothing is really sterile and dull. It really feels like a, an alive frame, and, and also fun frame, so I'm sure Kim Ji-Woon wasn't this dullard making this, you know, it must have been a fun you know, he had his political criticism, his his social commentary, but I I, I can't for the life of me think that he's a, a completely icy character making a comedy, you know?
0: No, I mean, I as a person he's actually very funny, so you know that's bound to show through, no matter what he's trying to say underneath. It it really is. It's just him out to make a horror comedy, and it does have to be said that The Quiet Family was Korea's first ever merging of horror and comedy. Not
1: not even through the years, uh, through all the decades, they never really attempted to merge it.
0: No, well, I mean, if you look, if you look at sort of uh, through the the golden age, it was all it, they did horrors or they did melodrama once once the 70s sort of hit and all the censorship came in they they couldn't really do much of anything apart from melodrama and at the end of the 80s whenever censorship sort of came to an end at that point you know they were still still heading in melodrama territory really more than anything else so you know kim ji un doing this was you know really quite something
1: i mean i mean it's more of a full-on experience like uh, you have Sections in uh, Kim Ki Young's Killer Butterfly there are distinctly horror, distinctly comedy, but it's yeah. like one of five six different sections are uh, widely different from each other. So it's not like a unified horror comedy in the case of Killer Butterfly.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: And and this is a so of unified. It, it's decided on what kind of genre it's going to be through and through. So uh, I suppose that makes.
0: And I love the fact that we can be in the middle of something really horrific. And something just really darkly funny comes through, and it's just you, you almost at times feel really should I be finding this funny? Because look, like, like somebody's being, you know, dealt with more badly than they should be. Um, I, I love the fact, and, and we're, we're. Got to be talking about another very, very recent film that has a similar sort of thing where you just think, should should I should I find this funny? Really? Because I really do. And I think it's kind of wrong. Um, I, I love it. I think that works like a charm. But as I say, you know, Kim ji Won, you, you may think he's he's very important. He is. But for starting horror comedy in Korean cinema, you got to give him extra points.
1: As crazy as it sounds, our dis- uh, uh, the movie and our discussion of it, it doesn't crank its tone insanely. It has a sort of constantly amusing tone. Sometimes it spikes, but it kept, it keeps like a tone that hovers over the movie. So it's not wild uh, all the time, and that's a a, a neat balance, I think, uh, because it it allows itself to therefore smoothly play with horror atmosphere, then slide it a little bit back into comedy without turning it into a spoof or anything. Um, you know, it it, it earns having, uh, you, you know, the clock strike 12 in one scene and then having the door, sm- you know, sm- smash cut of a door coming open and the uh, the thunderstorm is going going off in the background. And it's, mm. it fits the tone. It doesn't deviate too much. And, uh, you know, who doesn't like a good old... Clock strikes 12 and, uh, you know, horror starts at 12. And they, they make it a plot point in the latter half of the movie what's going to happen mm. at 12. It's not uh, about any ghosts or anything. They're, they're expecting someone. And uh, there the insanity, um, insanity starts. I suppose I, I lost a little bit track of, uh, you know, the, essentially the plot beats about the multiple guests and the misunderstanding of which guest is who and uh, the sort of whys behind, uh, you know, the extra plot behind all this i lost a little bit track of that and without spoiling it the the essentially the very last two scenes of the movie i felt went a little bit overboard in terms of the, it became eclectic and quirky and maybe a bit too arty for my taste so it, it, it has a curiously i wouldn't say abstract wrap-up but it's a curiously oh oh it's now over what was that about then it's uh, maybe that supports the theory that you talked of a few minutes ago but I, for, for those were the only sort of beats that um well, maybe it's down to inexperience or i'm just not getting it but it felt curiously out of touch with the rest of the very straightforward
0: movie i i, I would very much agree with you on that and and from my point of view i would suggest it was because this is kim jeun's first film and you know it is inexperience i would I would almost guarantee as much as I can but I can understand how the way it ends would almost underline the idea that maybe this is all in the little girl's or the young girl's head maybe it is maybe that's where they got this idea from or the critic the critics got this idea from it may not be the case I don't think but it's it such a late breaking
1: idea if so and if he buried it that deep into the movie I don't think it really uh has a point uh, no uh, I, I, yeah, agree. I, I, mean, I agree i mean i mean i'm stupid so maybe i need more verbal and uh, uh visual cues for me to oh maybe it's a dream because they said yeah. maybe it's a dream i get it now i maybe i need it to be clear to me like that but i thought if that's how you possibly is going to interpret it, it it's a way too late breaking idea for me to sort of
0: yeah i I, to- I totally agree with you and i feel that though those scenes will Have played a big part in those critics saying, "Oh, this might be what it's about." I don't think it is. I just think they're down to, it's down to Kim's slight inexperience. Take take from it what you will, but I agree with you that they kind of, they they don't sit as well. They don't sit as well.
1: My final note: uh, I I I wanna, I wanna see a singular one sequence that just uh, made me howl really. Uh, The scene where Song Kang Ho. Comes to the rescue of his sister that's been um, she's uh, almost raped, and he's a crap protector of his sister, and uh, he tussles with this character who ends up on top of him because Song Kang Ho can't defend her or himself very well. So this other character sits on top of him, and they they sort of go whoa 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 okay, I'm um, not <laughs> you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything. You uh, you you promise not to fight. J- just get off me. You promise not to fight. Get off me, then! But you made a promise. Get the fuck off me, man! You, you know they get so <laughs> they get that sort of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, but then that ends with uh, uh, a wonderful sort of sight gag when it all goes wrong. You know, not everybody ends up um, whole after this sequence, if you will, because uh, we're at the point in the movie where. Everything can go wrong at any time, and indeed it does uh, in this case. Uh, That was my favorite sequence. Uh, So I'll conclude my notes there. Very fun, very amusing, and uh, sharp for a uh, debut work with some slight, slight, slight flaws towards the very end. But uh, quite a uh, uh, quite a suitable introduction to a director, I think. And uh, go from uh, it. it, It's okay to start from the beginning because there's quality from the beginning and a really quality. Almost all throughout uh, the filmography, depending on uh, the viewer you are. But uh, the stuff leading up to the Tale of Two Sisters is uh, pretty neat, actually. So uh, this first phase comes recommended, and now I have to pursue The Foul King, I suppose.
0: You need to see it. You need to see it.
1: I just uh, he 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 doesn't wrestle akin to you know WWE wrestling where he, he just has an outfit on and he plays he plays a character. He's uh, wrestling in the maybe in the in the Mexican tradition or maybe it's a Korean wrestling tradition where he has a full face mask on.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I, a very minor side point. Um, it is essentially Korean wrestling. Um, at the time the file king was made, wrestling was a huge, hugely popular sport in Korea, and uh, I, I think that's that's why the wrestling idea was used because they knew audiences would jump at it um, so it's 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 all based on korea regardless of what it links to you know from other pe- other countries knowledge of, of wrestling what have you
1: so i'll i have concluded my notes anything else you want to say uh, in terms of highlights or any particular wrap-up you want to make of your of your notes on the quiet family
0: the whole thing for the quiet family for me is the beauty of the dysfunction and if you're a fan of Korean cinema you know about familial dysfunction that's just jaw-droppingly funny the quiet family it's a debut film but he succeeds wholly with it um the other things are the tiny little throwaway moments you know that the Older sister Misu singing late at night every night. And when she she finally decides she fancies someone, she changes the lyrics of the song to say, "I want to know what love is because I'm already 17. <laughs> and and then and then when she gets you know when she gets the come on that she's been asking for, she suddenly you know in the the Korean sort of way suddenly decides, "No, no, that's not no, 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 get off, get off." It's those beautifully little throw away funny moments that that make the film as strong as it is.
1: And as for availability of The Quiet Family, you can get it fairly easily. There's a UK released DVD by Tai Seng that it's available not new but second hand. It's a little bit pricey but not terribly. High price to anything. Uh, Korean import, on the other hand, uh, goes for reasonable prices. You can still uh, get a, a version of uh, w- one of the DVD releases from back in the day. And it's also available to stream on Amazon Prime Video on the US. Site uh, side of things, and uh, that streaming option uh, features a nice-looking version in either superb standard definition or decent uh, high definition. Really nicely colourful, clean prints. So I don't know if uh, that's exactly a replication of the DVD version, but if so, the DVD version is really really high standard because the, this movie needed to have, you know, needed to pop uh, here and there because of the interiors or so wonderfully realized and all of that and this version on amazon prime uh, certainly did
0: the version i have is the casing version which was a, a dvd company that preceded um, a company called terracotta films in the uk um, and they did a load of good stuff they released christmas in august as well you know addicted etc etc and the the quality of the dvd print on that casing DVD is is exceptional you know you just look at it and think that is gorgeous absolutely gorgeous so even if you can only get hold of the DVD rather than stream it's worth doing because it's a beautiful beautiful piece
1: well we have two things to announce here I mean there's no easy lead in into the actual next episode of what's Korean cinema that you can neatly explain what we're gonna discuss but we're gonna we're gonna discuss a movie called Alice in Ernestland and Not Alice in Wonderland, but Alice in Land. And I find it hard to put into words what exactly we're going to discuss other than the fact that I laughed when I shouldn't have, I think. And uh, that made me feel shamelessly good about myself for some reason. Mm -hmm. Violence, depression, death, sadness and deafness, and yet it's all pretty funny. (laughs) So <laughs> it's a 2015 movie Paul has selected for us uh, that uh, might not be on many people's radar. Certainly wasn't on my radar. And uh, we'll be back that next What's Korean, epi- What's Korean Cinema episode to, to discuss Alice in Earnest Land. But we are sort of not done because as a supplement to this episode, right now you can go to podcastonfire.com and listen to a special website exclusive bonus episode where me and Paul review the Japanese movie Happiness of the Katakuris from director Takashi Miike. It's a uh, sometimes faithful, sometimes very loose remake of The Quiet Family that's a musical and also features uh, grotesque stop-motion animation segments. (laughs) Because, what the fuck, Japan, as they say. (laughs) Go on, Yeah. And that's what we're going to discuss if that's uh, any good or not. It came out three years later, I believe, uh, two or three years later. And uh, from the mind of uh, each of the killers, uh, Takashimike comes uh, Happiness of the Katakuris, a musical that's um, that's uh, sort of an antidote to the darkness that Takashimike sometimes uh, puts forth. So Certainly that year was uh, notorious for just being gross and out there. And Happiness of the Katakuris is less of that. But uh, we'll. Uh, we'll um uh, we'll uh, cordially invite you to attend the special website bonus uh, episode that you can only hear on podcast on happiness of the categories. That's us for this episode on The Quiet Family and we look back on Kim ji Won his ongoing career because he's uh, not done and uh, we'll see what happens with um, if he uh, participates in any, any limited TV events for the streaming platforms or if it's Park Chan-wook is going to continue to lead the way in terms of that because at the time of uh, recording Park Chan-wook is... Uh, I don't know if he had any title, but the the, the sort of news bit was that uh, he was going to team up with uh, the writer of the western horror movie Bone Tomahawk for uh, like an Amazon Prime uh, original, mm. I believe. Yeah, and I heard good things about Bone Tomahawk. I simply haven't watched it yet. The Kurt Russell uh, western horror cannibal uh, thing, and I've heard really good things about it. So, so so why not? If that um, uh, writer was sharp and could mix genres, then. Say hello to Park chan I think uh, yeah, we're going to get on uh, splendidly. But uh, uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, including uh, the back catalogue of what's Korean Cinema, go to podcastonfire.com. All relevant links uh, connected to this episode, uh, including uh, Paul's interviews with uh, Kim Ji-won from uh, his site, uh, they will be linked to specifically. So I'm going to keep it short and conclude and throw it over to Paul, to Paul for some final plugging action
0: right guys i have been and will continue to be paul from hanglesalluloid.com um you can find me on facebook at facebook.com slash i'm on twitter at at hanglesalluloid fire over to the site have a look at the kim june interviews peruse a few reviews here and there and i hope once you go you'll keep coming back
1: and that's us for this episode therefore so i hope to hear, uh, not well, oh, oh, hope to hear from you, of course, but hope you take a chance on our bonus episode. But otherwise, I uh, hope you take a chance on the next official episode on, of What's Korean Cinema on Alice in Honest Land. But uh, in the meantime, I'm in Kennedy and with me was uh, Paul Quinn, who's uh, now gonna go out and uh, try and uh, try and get some new readership of Hangul Celluloid by waving uh, axes in their faces because he just wants their attention, damn it. That's that's
0: a great idea. Thanks for that. Yeah, cheers, guys.
1: And then later on, maybe they ran away because of... Oh,
0: right.
1: So that's the sort of level of humor
0: we deal with. Well, I think it, I think it would work for me.
1: Right on. Well, uh, that's all, so thank you, everybody, and goodbye, goodbye, goodbye.
0: See you later, guys. I want to make you happy, and if you say, hey, go away, I will. But I think better still, I'd better stay around and love you. Do you think I have a-